0: Amen. Well, come on in, guys. Sit down. Uh, Quick uh, quick administrative announcements. Um, So I I sent my email last night. We are going to wrap up the Zechariah series next week. And so that'll be the last one. We're going to cover Zechariah 14. And I was going to try to do it all in one week, but the more I was studying chapter 14, the more I really think it needs to stand on its own. And so we're gonna we're gonna do twelve and thirteen today, fourteen next week, uh, and then Bill Search is gonna be leading us in the next series and so I'm not sure how long it's gonna take him to get through the next series. I told him at the beginning of the year that we would alternate teaching series and um and I assumed that Zechariah would take me about a month to cover, and we are in month four so so. Uh, we will, uh, I, I think Bill will, will probably cover at least in May, and we'll work through kind of how, how, how we work through the summer, but, um, but we'll have Bill leading us in that. Also, just church-wise, tonight we do have Wednesday night programming uh, here at the church, so if you're involved in any of the classes, uh, Terry Fakes is in Israel, which means he is not teaching his class tonight, but it means I am. I am subbing for the great Terry Fakes tonight, yeah. So here's what I say, here's what I say to that. Only tell the people who you know would actually be more likely to come because I'm there, right? Don't tell the other people who are going to hear, oh, Terry's not there, oh, I, a, which is like 99% of our church. So, uh, but But for those of you all who go to Terry's class, come out tonight. I'd appreciate it. Uh, this will be the first time in my five and a half years at Crossings that I am teaching two unique 45-plus minute lessons within six hours of each other, uh, but but I'm excited to get to teach that class. I've never taught that class before, so it uh, should be fun. You know what? I figure I figure if I bring maps, Terry's going to give me another scar on my head, so I'm, I'm, I'm not doing it. Yep, what's... All right, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I figured you would sit on the front row and heckle me. So, uh that's all right. To to t- tonight. No, no, no. Tonight is John 8, the truth shall set you free. So, uh we'll I came very close to teaching that lesson today at 12 or today right now as a practice run for tonight, but I but I, enough of you all go to that class. I didn't want to do that to you. Um and then other than that, continue to pray just God's doing a lot of work here in our church. And so I just ask you to continue to pray that uh, God would be glorified. Just so many things going on. Appreciate how all you all serve. Um, yep, Major Duck. I had the good fortune of going through the of the cross. Mm-hmm. It was Yeah. I've heard so much good feedback. I've just started taking credit for it myself. um. <laughs> On the Stations of the Cross, yeah, it was... Now, nah, if you could see Larry Harrison and Charity Logan, give them a big... They, they, Charity really did all the work on it, Charity, Charity Logan. So they were the brain children behind all of that. So they did a great job. All right, well, let's get into Zechariah chapter 12. Now that I've convinced everybody to stay home tonight from church. Um, so, So just kind of going back to Zechariah here. You know, remember the whole context of it. You know, we've got people who've come off the Babylonian exile. A lot of trials going on. I did. I did. Thank you all. Though, A lot of trials going on. Uh, God's encouraging them to get back to work, to do the work that he's asked them to do. And he's unfolding a much bigger vision for what he's going to do through them than what they understand. They may think that they're just rebuilding the temple, uh, but he's building the permanent temple, right? He is bringing the permanent Savior in Jesus Christ. And he tells us that over and over. I mean, just think through all the lessons we've had so far, how often this detailed imagery of Jesus Christ comes in to the, the, the prophet Zechariah. Which, if you learn anything through this Zechariah series, one thing I hope you learn is not to skip the minor prophets. Right? Whenever you're reading the Bible, uh, one, I encourage everybody to read the Bible on their own. Right, I mean, If you can sit through this class, you can read the Bible on your own. Um, read the Bible on your own, and when you get to the hard stuff in the minor prophets that you think is not... i mean, The first time I read it, I was like, what in the world is all this? it is understandable, right? Don't skip it because it's just kind of hard to decipher. You know, trust yourself. Trust that God will reveal things to you. There's some, there's some things that if we didn't get to unpack Zechariah, we wouldn't understand Christ. And so I just really, really encourage you to, to, to dig into these minor prophets in particular. But in this one, we're coming into in chapter 12 and 13. Uh, God is, is, is really laying out, a big vision for what he is doing through them. And he's providing them a whole lot of comfort, right? Comfort and encouragement with, 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 with really what he's going to do in the face of what he's about to do. In chapter 14, we're going to get to a big trial. And so I think it's very telling that he gives them a whole lot of encouragement before they go through a big trial. And so I just wanted to maybe start off the class today. Just talk at your tables for a moment. I just want you to say, does everyone share who is the, maybe, if you had to name one person in your life who has been the biggest encourager, right? Who has been the person who's kind of given you that much, you know, the most encouragement in your life, who has it been, right? Who has it been in your life? Talk about that for just a moment, and we'll, we'll come back. All right, well, let's, let's bring it back to the main group. Uh, just while you guys are wrapping up, I'm curious to see a show of hands. Uh, the biggest encourager in your life. How many of you is it a, a mom or dad? A lot of people. You had parents, which is which is fantastic. Um, I find it very. Uh, for for me, I've, my dad's in the room, so I'm not saying he's here. I've got great parents who were always encouragers. Not always, but almost always, right? Not always. Was a couple. There was a couple basketball games that I think afterwards there was not a lot of encouragement. But it was. Uh, but for the most part, it was encouraging. Uh, so uh, I always had great, very encouraging parents. To this day, my mother thinks I can do nothing wrong. I mean, she still thinks that the referees in high school had it out for me. Right? I mean, it's. Like, I mean, it was, so it's just anyway. I mean, was, I've always had encouraging parents. But but I tell you what, I talked to so many of so many people in this church. They did not have that experience growing up. I'm sure there's a lot of people in this room who did not have that experience growing up. So it's not always your parents. How many of you was it a coach or a teacher? Coach or teacher? Granddad. Granddad. Grandparents. Yeah, how many of you was it grandparents? Yeah. Great uncle. Great uncle. Family members. A lot of family members. Mentors. Right? Mentors. Friends. Anybody who's just a friend? A couple years, even said their wives? Are Oh, wow, that's, uh, yeah, now that's impressive, wives being the greatest encourager, that's that's a minor miracle from God right there, this is being recorded, isn't it, this is being recorded, yeah, yeah, hey, I gotta say, it's, it's, it is very good to be encouraged, right, we all need to be encouraged. And, uh, and, and you can tell the people in life who don't have anyone who's encouraging them. I, I just, I cannot tell you how many people I get to just just walk alongside and see that they don't have anybody in their life who really cares about them. And that is a tough, tough deal. And in our society today that's getting more and more lonely, uh, it's becoming a bigger and bigger problem. And so in this passage, we see, we see God really encouraging his people. And I'm going to read, I'm going to actually start this Zechariah reading by going back to Jeremiah. I found found in this text that Zechariah drew upon some language in Jeremiah a couple different times. And so I'm going to read, and you don't have to turn there, but Jeremiah 31, I'm going to read about the first 10 verses of Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah, again, being a prophet who was prophesying towards the uh, beginning of the Babylonian exile, right? I mean, he's Jeremiah, Jeremiah lived a horrible life, by the way. I mean, Jeremiah died a bad death. He got to experience a whole lot of suffering. His own people didn't listen to him. Uh, but God used Jeremiah to encourage the people that the exile was not permanent, right? That there would be a time that God would come and redeem them, that God would be there for them. And so let me read you in Jeremiah 31. It says, At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be, you shall be built, O virgin Israel. And I'll just stop on that for a moment. If you read the kind of more literal translations in the Bible, there's very often in the Bible that God's people are not called virgins. What are they called? Whores, Whores, right? And I don't mean to sound crass when I say that, but God uses the marriage illustration over and over again to talk about his relationship with his people. And if you are cheating on God, right, if you are going out and committing adultery on God by putting idols above him and, and going off and putting your faith in, in politicians and rulers and kingdoms and chariots and horses and all these things, you see that imagery used all throughout, and it had been used in the prophets. And so God now is using the exact opposite by saying, I have come and I will make you pure, right, O virgin Israel. Again, you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and shall go forth in the dance of merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy the fruit. From there shall be a day when watchmen will call in the country of Ephraim, Arise and let us go to Zion, for the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them the blind and the lame, the pregnant women, and she who is in labor together. A great company shall return here. And listen to this in verse 9. With weeping they shall come, and with pleas of mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by the brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble, for I am a father to Israel. God is giving his people this encouragement before they go through a very big trial, right? Before they go through the entire 70 years of exile, right? But he's telling them, even though they may not realize it in their lifetime, that he will be there for them. He will redeem their people. He will make them pure, Right? He will lead them down the straight path. They will not, they will, their weeping will turn to joy. And so I want you to keep that in mind, that this, this pattern we see of God, of providing encouragement before the trial, comes up again here in Zechariah. And so as we go to Zechariah chapter 12, you'll see the same theme. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start on verse 5, where God is kind of telling a similar story that he's doing something bigger, Zechariah 12, 5. And let me just read this to you. It says, Then the clans of Judah shall say to themselves, The inhabitants of Jerusalem have strength through the Lord God of hosts, their God. On that day I will make the clans of Judah like a blazing pot in the midst of wood, like a flaming torch among sheaves, and they shall devour to the right and to the left all the surrounding peoples, while Jerusalem shall again be inhabited in its place in Jerusalem. He's saying, I will be with you. I will make you into a mighty, powerful force, right? You will be able to be protected. Right now, these people have gone back to Jerusalem. And remember, they are very vulnerable, right? They, they feel like they are not with protection. They are being persecuted from all sides. They're, the work has halted, um, We've talked about this before. Jerusalem is right in the middle of every major trade route and every major war. If you're, a, if you're a conquering kingdom, you're going to go through Israel normally to get to the other people you're trying to conquer. If you're the Assyrians trying to defeat the Egyptians, you're going to go from the north to the south going through Israel. You're going to go through this place called Megiddo, right, which we're going to see come up in our text. And civilization upon civilization upon civilization has battled in the the field right there underneath the mountain of Megiddo. And does anyone know what Megiddo, the connotation of Megiddo, what's a word that you have probably in your head whenever you think of Megiddo? Armageddon, right? Whenever in Revelation, when we talk about Armageddon, they're talking about the battle of Megiddo right, the War of Megiddo, and so everyone would have understood, because if you were a, 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 a conquering army on both sides, it was the perfect place to do battle. If you go and you stand in Megiddo, you will see about 31 civilizations stacked on top of each other, uh, because that was the place that you built, that you, you maintained, and so you would see this, this imagery come up over and over again uh, for, for that, that connotation, given the, uh, the battles that would occur. So anyway, uh, we see this come up, and he's saying, I will be there with my people. I will protect you. It says in verse 7, And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. On that day the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them, And on that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And then he gives a specific for what is going to happen that really makes the climax of that day. And so verse 10, I will pour out of the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, right? Keep this in mind, when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, They shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child. Go back to Jeremiah 31, 9. With weeping they shall come, and with pleas of mercy I will lead them back. Right? Look at the mourning that occurs here. And why are they mourning? Whom have they pierced? Jesus. Right? So I want you to see that whenever you see Christ come through and the weeping and wailing and the mourning that occurs, it the text says here, when they look on me, speaking of God, right? When they look on me, comma, on him speaking of Christ, whom they have pierced, right? God himself will be pierced, which provides the climax for all of these promises to be complete. Does that make sense? pretty much if you read Zechariah and you don't know what it means, just assume it talks about Jesus and we should be good, right? Uh, All through, all through the text. And then it says, so they'll weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. On that day, the mourning in Jerusalem will be as great as the mourning for Hadad-Rimon in the place of Megiddo. The land shall mourn each family by itself. And it goes on to really explain just how much mourning is going to occur. It's going to be, it's going to be great. And so we see it even as, even as bad as the plains of Megiddo, where battle after battle has been raged. And so you see this prophecy going through all the way to Christ in this text. And then if you fast forward to chapter 13, verse 1, it says, And on that day, speaking of the same day, Right, so if we if we if we hear that day let's think Christ dying on the cross right on that day there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness there's a theme that runs all through the Bible and I mean there's all kinds of themes that runs all through the Bible and and sometimes it's fun just to this is what I do for fun at least it's fun to pick a theme, and just start looking at everywhere you see that theme manifests itself. One of the themes that you see is this idea of living water, right? And, and you'll, you'll find it in the Old Testament, you'll find it all the way through the New. And one of the examples of living water that I've, I've gone through this week is this idea of the living water in the Old Testament, really being manifested in the living water that comes from Christ. And so I'll give you an example. If you think about the Exodus story and remember that Moses is leading all the people into the wilderness and they all are dying of thirst and what are they demanding of Moses? Right? Yeah, give us water. Right. You're going to kill us out here. We might as well go back to Egypt. You know, at least there we had water and food, right? Even though we were slaves. And Moses gets pretty frustrated. And out of, you know, a moment of frustration, not exactly trusting, what does he do? Does anyone remember? He strikes the rock, the rock Rock of Meribah, right? And then then God allows all the water to flow out to provide water for the people. And then there's all kinds of consequences to that. But God provides living water for his people. Well, so if you fast forward to the New Testament, uh, or actually all through the time of the Jewish people, God taught the people to practice something, that, a number of feasts and festivals. One of the feasts and festivals that he had taught them to practice was the Feast of Booze, or the Feast of Tabernacles, tents, right? And he, he told people that on a certain day of the year, he wanted them to all, pretty much for a week, get into tents and be together, have festivals, so that they could remember what God had once done. And if you go to Israel today or any major Jewish community today uh, during the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, they still actually do this. It's pretty cool. Uh, they don't like set up tents like you would think that we go buy tents from Dick's Sporting Goods or anything, they normally have something set up on their house that they do for a period of time, and they go eat out there, then they go back into their bed and sleep, but they still try to follow the spirit of the concept to re, to allow themselves and their people to remember that God once led them in tents through the wilderness. Well, so Jesus in his time is going back to Israel, or is going back to Jerusalem for the Feast of Booths for the Feast of Tabernacles. And, and so they're, they're wanting to remember this. And during that time, there's always symbol, the symbolism that is used in the people of water and light. And the water being the remembering God providing the water for them whenever Moses hit that rock. I'm just going to read you a quick passage from John. Uh, John 7, verse 37 and 38. And Jesus, during this time, he stands up. He stands up and he starts to give a lesson. And he's talking to a bunch of people who don't quite know who he is and what he's saying. And he says this, he goes, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Right. So we go back to Zechariah. We see in verse 13 or chapter 13, it says, On that day there's going to be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. And then Jesus takes that, that, that idea, that concept, that on the day when God makes all things right, there's going to be a fountain of living water that's going to cleanse them of sin and uncleanness. And Jesus says, if you are thirsty, right, come to me and drink and you will never be thirsty again, right? Everyone, when Jesus said that, they would have remembered, because they were there to, to celebrate the Feast of Booths, they would have remembered Moses hitting that rock, right? They would have been thinking about that. They would have been thinking about God is the one who provided the water. God is the one who provided this prophecy, who would cleanse them from sin and uncleanness, and then Jesus is saying, I am the one who will actually provide you that living water, all of these threads coming together to make sure everybody understands that Jesus is the one, right? He is the one. So we work through that. And then I'm going to end this with, if you, if you keep going down in chapter 13, we get another prophecy that gets fulfilled in Jesus' ministry. And it says this, if you go 13 verse, chapter 13, verse seven, it says, awake, O sword against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me declares the lord of hosts strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered so we real quick i'm going to say this again this was in jeremiah 31 verse 10 another prophet said the same thing hear o, hear the word of the lord o nations and declared in the coastlands from far away he who scattered israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock so we get this idea Zechariah is saying that when this day comes, the shepherd will be struck and the sheep will scatter. Jeremiah is saying when the sheep are scattered, God himself will bring them back and will become their shepherd. And then Jesus tells us in Matthew, right before he is betrayed, right? Right before he is betrayed, he says, I am the fulfillment of this prophecy. Matthew 26 verse 30 says, and when they, sung, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. What is Jesus going to say is going to happen immediately after that? Do you want to know who is who, he talked to and who is he going to betray him? Peter, right? He tells Peter right after that, when Peter doesn't want to hear anything of this, he goes, Peter... You know, before the, the, the rooster crows, right? You're going to deny me three times, right? I want you to think about this. When Jesus dies on the cross, how many of his followers are there to be there with him? Right? Hardly anybody's there. Pretty much the women. The women show up, right? But, but there's not a lot of people there, right? Jesus dies a lonely death, right? The sheep are scattered. Everybody's afraid. But then the prophecy of Jeremiah says, and this is the encouragement Prophecy of Jeremiah says, 31.10, Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declared in the coastlands far away. He who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. Right? He will gather his people back together. God has a theme of bringing his people back, providing them the encouragement that they will be his, even though they've fallen away. Right? Even though they had gone off and chased after the other countries, right? God tells us in these prophecies that he will make them pure, right? Even though they were griping in the wilderness that they would rather go back to Egypt, you know, God provides them the living water. Even though Peter betrayed Jesus three times, Jesus then rises and comes to Peter and he asked him three times, Peter, do you love me, right? And he gives him three opportunities to reaffirm his love for him. And then he goes, go, right? Go and feed my sheep, right? He brings the flock back together and appoints his leader and encourages them and says, I've got a job to do. This entire text of Zechariah, God is encouraging his people and saying, I've got a job for you to do. I've got something I need for you to do. We see this scene time and time and time again all throughout the Bible. And when Jeremiah is talking to the Israelites, he's giving them that same encouragement, telling them they have a purpose, and then they walk through the fire, right? When Zechariah is telling the people, we're going to see next week, Zechariah is giving them this encouragement from God, and then he's warning them about how they're going to to walk through the fire. God gives that encouragement to Peter. Jesus comes and says, go feed my sheep. And then what happens to Peter? He goes and he walks through the fire. One of the biggest evidences for me that Christ is real is the fact that Peter died upside down on a cross. Right? I, I just, I, that, that for me, the way the disciples died, all of them, poor, without anything, without any glory, dying a martyr's death, tells me that all of this was actually true. Right? God gives them a purpose, gives them a job to do, but in the midst of all of it, He is encouraging them with His promises. And I want to read you. I'm going to read this, and this is going to be the last thing we talk about. I want to read the 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 rest of the encouragement that comes from God in the prophet Jeremiah. So, if you can, just let me read uh, verses 11 through 14 in Jeremiah chapter 31, because it says, "For the Lord has ransomed Jacob." When you hear Jacob, think his people, right? The Lord has ransomed them. He has bought them back. He has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. What hands are too strong for us? All right, sin. We are slaves to sin. We are not strong enough to overcome it on our own. None of you are. I'm definitely not, right? Whatever sin we're struggling with, we are not capable of dealing with it on our own. But God says, he has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, over the wine and the oil, and over the young of the flock of the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. They shall, then shall the young women rejoice and dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. And then he says this, I will turn their mourning into joy I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priest with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. What I just wanted to leave you all with today is that I I don't want you to underestimate how many of you are walking through things right now that are just ridiculously difficult, right? And if you're not doing, if you're not in the midst of something really, really hard right now, just wait because you probably will be, right? This, I mean, if you heard Marty, yeah, you're welcome. I, I, I told you you're coming here for encouragement today, not depression, right? But Marty, Marty's sermon last Sunday, I, he had that brilliant C.S. Lewis quote that I wish I'd written down. But the gist of the quote, yeah, Google it. Yeah, it's on our website, right? The gist of the quote was, you know. C.S. Lewis is talking to a bunch of people who are very likely going to go to war, right? Back in World War II. And he's telling, them, he's telling them, hey, this whole idea that there's peacetime and wartime, good and bad and all that, he goes, that's actually kind of ridiculous. Life is hard. There's war all the time, right? The fact that people are dying, that's nothing new in this world, right? Marty didn't get to the rest of the C.S. Lewis quote, but he pretty much, Lewis pretty much goes on to tell them they're all going to die. I mean, it's just a fascinating uh, deal. I don't know where my theme of encouragement is going here, but, um, (laughs) but where I'm trying to get to on this is we live in a tough world. We live in a fallen world. We all have this You know, made in the image of Christ, you know, on one side trying to be servants of God and the other side of us is we are sinful fallen creatures living in a sinful world, right? And and, and what comes with that is the consequences of sin. It comes with death, it comes with disease, it comes with strife, it comes with jealousy and anger and greed and lust and everything that comes with that. And I get to see it in all, so many people, just the tragedy that occurs as people are walking through really, really difficult times. But what I want you to know today is that God is capable of redeeming all of it. I just got out of a meeting with a guy who had a life story that is just even hard to articulate, and I watched God redeem it, right? I watched him redeem it. I saw God take a guy who could have been dead and just brought him out of it, and now is using all those experiences to help others. I, I, I think about the prayer with me and Charlie prayed about his kids. It's like, and you, and you just see God redeem it. And, and I just want to say, these promises that we get from God, he says, I have ransomed my people. I have redeemed them from hands that are too strong for them. I can turn your mourning into joy, right? Right? I want you to believe that God is capable of that. Like, I really want you to believe it. I've experienced it to be true to myself. I get to see evidence of it every day to know that God is capable of those things. But I want you to be encouraged that God is capable of taking whatever it is you're dealing with and turn your mourning into joy. At the same time, he needs you to know that, right? He needs you to intellectually know that. Because he knows you're going to be walking through trials, right? If you're not walking through one now, you either don't know it or you're about to, right? You're going to walk through trials. And you need to know in the midst of those trials that you are a loved child of God and he can turn your mourning into joy, All right? So I would just no application other than I hope that as you pray this week, you can remind yourself of that promise, Remind yourself of who God is, who you are, and that you are loved by a holy, loving God. Make sense? Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah, you th- you think about this. It is really difficult to make the uh, logical leap to know to to really believe that God actually is capable of doing certain things. It'd be easy for you to think that there is no way in the world you'd be reconciled to your son and your daughter, right? It'd be really easy for you to think, like, well, no, it's been too much time. There's too much bad blood, too much history. We've hurt each other too much, right? There's no way. But he can, and he does, right? It, I, 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 there's guys in here who have given testimony, about having something in their life that is just strangling them, right? Whether it be an addiction or anything else, right? It's like, well, I've just been doing it for too long, right? There's no way, there's no way I can overcome it. I just have to live with it now. It's like, well, no, you're not trusting in the promises of God, right? He can turn your mourning into joy. Trust in him, trust in those promises. And remember, as you trust in all that, he's got something for you to do. He will use it. Right. All right. Before I preach any more on stuff I didn't actually intend to cover today. uh, Let me uh, let me pray for us. And um, I hope to see everybody Wednesday night or tonight. So anyway, I'll see it. it, It'll be recorded. It's online. It's online. All right. Uh, Lord, I I thank you for these men. I thank you for the opportunity we have to just study your word. I thank you for all of our imperfections um, that. They are examples and evidence in our life of how you can take imperfect creatures, all of us, and turn them into beautiful beings, right? Turn them into beautiful gifts to you. I ask that you would help each of these men in here encourage each other. May they be the hands and feet that you use to to just provide some encouragement when it's needed. May we be men here who remind each other, not just that we're called to be salt and light, but that as we're being salt and light, We can be encouragers. That's part of the process. That's part of being different in the world that is so hateful to so many people is that we can be people who love each other and encourage each other. May you give us that spirit. May we have a brotherly love in here that comes from you and may you be glorified through it. Lord, we love you and we thank you. May you be with each of us as we go out. In Jesus' name, amen.